Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of A Good Drop. Today, we're going to talk about something uniquely Italian. Yes, back to Italian things again, and uh, talking about grappa. Grappa. It's what was once a peasant's drink is now enjoyed by everyone everywhere. So, let's get into it. I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Cheers. Cheers. Off we go, talking about grappa. Uh, so, the that little pop you heard in the intro is the very first time both of us have smelled grappa before. Yeah, and it's um, certainly an interesting smell. Mm, kind of like a... We uh, got a reserver. Oh, I should have grabbed the bottle. Um, we have a reserver-style grappa, so it's aged a little bit longer. And therefore, brown. Or mm. amber. Amber, yes. Um, so, it smells like a cross between wine and or port and whiskey. Yeah, it's a very... It's interesting because the smell is both familiar and unique. Mm. And I, I didn't expect it to have a familiar smell because of how different... Like, it's distilled, but it's very different. Like, um, grappa is made from the residue of stems, pips, skins, and stalks. I think now they actually still use whole grapes. Oh. Uh, well, only some particular distilleries. Mm. Like, like, just the one... There's one in particular, which we'll talk about later, that uses whole grapes. Oh, right. Hmm. But, but yeah, usually the leftovers. Yeah, that stuff that's left over after grapes have been pressed to make wine. And um, so it's highly probable that grappa actually predates other distilled spirits like whiskey, vodka, and gin because distilling from mash wasn't perfected until the 16th century. And uh, grappa has been around for significantly longer than that. I mean, exactly when it was first distilled isn't known, but uh, we do know that the distillation methods used for it are believed to have been introduced to Italy in the 1100s when the Moors ruled Sicily. And uh, the first written evidence of grappa production dates to the mid-14th century, placing its origins in the foothills of the Italian Alps and the northern regions of Trentino Alto... Adige and Val d'Aosta. And uh, by the end of the 15th century, grappa production was then commercialized, licensed taxes were levied on it, and uh, we got closer to where we are today, and I suppose on the way of it no longer being a poor man's drink, which we should probably mention that Mm. originally it was something made with the leftovers after you'd produced wine, and then poor people bought it because they could afford it, because it was made with leftovers, and they drank that as a way of relaxing at the end of a hard day of labor. Yeah. They, well, if it's leftovers, they were basically making moonshine out of what was left of the mash, because it would still, there'd still be enough there to ferment. Oh, yeah. And they they pulled every last bit of fermentable sugar-filled anything out of what was left, and they Mm. fermented it. Yeah. And they used to use as much of the leftovers as they could 
But what's really interesting is that in later years, the Italian government has written into law that it must only be made from leftovers and the leftover uh, fermentable products from making wine have to be turned into grappa. So the to stop has to be turned into grappa to stop the production of moonshine. Right. So that way every single producer of wine must also be a producer of grappa or at least sell that leftovers to a producer of grappa or destroy it or destroy it. Mm. Right. And there's hefty fines involved if you don't. Which oh. is really interesting. Like written into law that you must make grappa out of the leftovers. But the moonshine production in Italy is almost non-existent. Mm, well, I suppose that makes good sense then. They've mm. they've achieved their goal. Yeah. But um, what I find interesting is that grappa, as we know it, wasn't always called grappa. Grappa was um, actually delineated as its own unique style of product in the 18th century, with the distinction being made between distillates from grapes rather than other types of fruit. But it wasn't until the 1950s that the spirit was awarded its official name of grappa and that became what that thing is called. Yeah, so originally when when the very first commercial distillery for the sole purpose of producing grappa was opened in 1779 by Nardini and they began production in a place called Bassano del Grappa. That's where he opened a distillery and inn, Bassano del Grappa. But the product that he produced was actually called Aquavite de Venicio, Water of Life. And he continued to call it Water of Life right up until the 1950s. And in fact, they still put that phrase on the labels of the bottles that that brand sells in Italy. Amazing. Mm, So it still says water of life yeah but um what's interesting is that the grapes like the actual name grappa comes from the latin grapopolis <laughs> meaning bunch of grapes so <laughs> yeah which, which is funny because it's not made from grapes no it's not made from a bunch of grapes it's made from a bunch of crap left over after you've used the grapes <laughs> yeah. yeah although in the u.s they can still use the term grappa even if it doesn't specifically apply to the drink made in Italy. Ah, because they're completely ignoring the... The DOC. Yeah. Yeah. But that's America for you. Yeah, they they do that with with quite a few things. (laughs) They ignore the rules of origin. Hmm, Sometimes. Uh, But the word grappa is used for things that are are like grappa, but have been made in the US, or uh, grappa brandy. Yeah. Things that are very similar, but not quite. And of course, brandy was one of Italy's earliest forays into doing something with wine other than wine. Mm. And, you know, so it makes sense that this, which we're holding now, this grappa smells somewhat like brandy. Yeah. Uh, Well, it makes sense. It's Mm. made from the same thing. Yeah, same sort of stuff. I think I'm... I'm expecting the difference between this and brandy to be the same or similar in concept between the difference between cachaca and rum. Oh, this is very different to brandy. Ooh. Like, wow, really different. The very interesting flavors. I'm not even sure I can put a put my finger on it yet. I think I'll have to give it 
more tastings and more delineation. Yeah. I mean, the smell is pretty right. It tastes like a mixture between uh, port and whiskey. Yeah, it's It definitely has the port... Sorry, not port. It definitely has the whiskey notes to it or similarities mm. to whiskey notes because of their barrel aging. And it's, it's very bitey. Yeah. And quite fruity, as I suppose you'd expect, and really interesting aftertaste. Yeah. Like, almost... I don't know, it's not a fruity aftertaste. It's something <laughs> okay. else. Almost like chocolate. Yeah? Yeah, I can see that. Hmm. All right, so on the bottle, we have... Well, what we're drinking is Luigi French Francoli. I'm pretty sure it's Francoli or Francoli. Uh, Grappa di Nebbiolo da Barolo Reserva. I probably butchered that pronunciation. I am sorry. So, Grappa Sorsi di Luce. And I can't read Italian, but it is definitely made in Italy. Uh, bottle product made and bottled in a distillery in distillera Francoli via Romaga, Romagno. Romagnano. Yeah. And it's got the seal. Luigi Francoli Grappa. Uh, distillery opened in 1875. So this bottle is magnificent. It's uh, extraordinarily tall, as you can see in the photos. but it, And it's covered in lines that cut into the surface of the bottle. Almost like your granddad's whiskey glasses. Yeah. Um, but less organized if that makes any sense yes there doesn't seem to be a pattern to it yeah it's kind of just there just all over the place yeah uh it is 41 and a half percent that's why it's bitey oh yeah that explains it um this is you know gin territory sort Mm, of you, you are supposed to um only have small amounts which we're doing yeah sipping it yeah you could not drink this faster Oh, no. No, definitely not. I mean, it's not an unpleasant flavour, but it's mm. a very strong one. Irish whiskey. That's what it's more like. Mm. Yes, it is more it, like an Irish. Because it's got a, got that hint of sweetness to it, if that makes... Yeah, it's got a, yeah. a note of sweetness to it. And the fact that you mix it with coffee is an indicator that it has similarities. So if you like Irish whiskey, but think it's too smooth sometimes, have one of these. Yeah, because there there are four different ways of drinking grappa. Mm. This is the first way, which is chilled, not not over ice, straight up. Uh, young and aromatic grappa should be served between 9 and 13 degrees. And aged grappa, like what we're drinking, should be served just below room temperature between about 15 to 17 degrees. It certainly has a very pleasant complexity to it, but there's also an oddness there that is not... So pleasant. It's it's fleeting, mm. to be sure. The and you know the flavors that come before and after the bit that makes you go uh, are very nice. It's mm. just that one little uh, moment. It, it's almost like you can taste that it's been made with leftovers. Maybe yeah. well, like the- it. You know when you have when you have uh, or when you've got to make dinner and you've got nothing left, nothing left specifically. So you ransack your cupboards. And you pan, you ransack your pantry and your fridge to find something to make. And what you make might taste pretty good, but it's 
it can be a little strange. And I think that's kind of what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it works, but it's not something I would, would have picked. No. And I think it's definitely, it's something that is probably at its best with something else. Like, like coffee. Yeah. Because <laughs> one, one of the ways to drink it is as a chaser for a shot of espresso. The way, that particular way of drinking it is called a matzo cafe or coffee killer. Uh, an espresso drunk, an espresso followed by a small shot of grappa. Yeah, and I could see the um, the sweetness sort of cutting through the bitterness and the two kind of balancing each other out mm. if you were to do it in fast enough succession, which I guess is why one of the cocktails that can be made using grappa is the grappuccino, grappuccino. which is grappa, amaretto liqueur, sugar syrup, and espresso coffee. Hmm. I think that's probably a a bastardized version of the co- corrected coffee or cafe corretto, mm. which is another of the traditional ways to make it. They add a splash of grappa to a shot of espresso. Yeah. Well, again, the flavors get the opportunity to balance each other out. Mm. It's just that instead of it being one after the other, it's together. Yeah. And the final traditional way of drinking grappa is called a resentin or resentin or little rinser after finishing your cup of espresso put a dash of grappa into the empty cup swirl it around and down the hatch down the hatch yeah so clearly the italians think you should be having it with coffee Hmm. and the way that we've started it because we always like to drink something by itself first to yeah get what its original flavors are is not the best way to have it well not necessarily. And when when there's one way that doesn't involve coffee and three that do, it kind of makes you think that coffee. Yes. But I also think we needed to try it straight up because that's our control method, I guess. Oh, absolutely. We always need to try it straight up. Yeah. Because that way we get the uh, most amount of flavor out of it and we can easily compare it to other drinks. Yeah. And once you know what something tastes like by itself you're in a better position to work out what you could mix it with or have as an accompaniment. You got that face. Uh, there's there's a face that goes with drinking straight grappa. <laughs> yeah. It's it's rough and I'm not sure I like it. Yeah, I'm I'm hopeful that I'll like it better with with a coffee. With a coffee. Mm. Yeah. But let's I suppose let's briefly while we're talking about mixing it with things talk about the other cocktails that exist for um for grappa. Yeah. So there's the affogato cocktail with grappa, coffee liqueur, caracao liqueur, espresso coffee, and vanilla ice cream. Holy shit. The bird is the word with <laughs> grappa, green chartreuse, maraschino liqueur, lime juice, and chocolate bitters. Well, had you not heard? Bird is the word. I oh, know. Everybody knows about the bird. <laughs> and uh, 1897, which actually sounds quite interesting. Grappa, elderflower liqueur, kumquats, sugar syrup, and red wine. Kumquats, interesting. Mm, it sounds very sweet, but the red wine would probably balance that. Mm. And uh, of course, grappuccino. I won't go into what's in that again. The grapparita, which is grappa, limoncello liqueur, lemon juice, and egg white. Wow. And the Italian milk punch, brandy, <laughs> galliano liqueur, amaretto liqueur, and grappa. Wow. So even most of those contain coffee or a coffee liqueur. 
Yeah. With the exception of the ones that, the one with the limoncello and lemon juice that says, let's balance out the sweet with acid. And the bird is the word that says, let's balance out the sweet with more sweet. (laughs) I mean, they're not wrong. Mm. Yeah. Um, We should probably talk about how they make it too. Back to... Back to a grappa specifically, uh, it is similar to uh, brandies and cognac or sherry. It's a distilled beverage, um, but they do, they can't make it like they'd make whiskey or gin because they start with a mixture of mash that's left over. They have to use a much, much softer heating method to get the steam and alcohol out of it. Otherwise, they burn the mash and change the flavor. So what they do is they generally heat it in a bain-marie kind of setup. So they they heat water, which heats the uh, mixture sitting in a saucepan inside this hot water. Yeah, so they, they make it using a very similar method to that used with making brandy, which is why brandy comes from the term burnt wine, because it's from heating, and they used to heat that, and they applied the same methodologies to heating what would then be distilled to make grappa. So they got the bain-marie mixture, which funnels the the alcohol, distil- the alcohol distillate into another uh, burner to heat it properly, to, um, to properly heat it into a uh, pot still. Because they, they can't apply heat directly to the, the, the must because it'll burn. But they can apply heat directly to a, a, a brandy mixture because it's already a liquid uh so grappa has been pretty much the same for nearly three four hundred years until the 1960s thanks to the effort of one woman gianola nonino her nonino distillery in pacoto italy has been producing grappa since uh, about 19 or 1897 however in the early 70s, she began making grappa from a single grape as opposed to the customary melange of grape leftovers. Uh, she was trying to make a, a quality drink, not just a mishmash of leftovers. Mm. Like so what, so you're, you're saying she was using the leftovers from a single type of grape? Yeah. Rather than using all the leftovers from all the grapes that came out of... I'm getting to that. Mm. Uh, she sold very little, but she you know, offered it for free and marketed it and so on and so forth. But the thing is, she petitioned the Italian government to let her use whole grapes in her mash, in in the must, instead of just the leftovers after making wine. So they began with grapes and in the following years started using cherries, pears, apricots, peaches, etc. And... Uh, now, the, that particular distillery produces a, a whole ton of different styles of quote-unquote grappa. Right, except that they're slightly different from the traditional recipe. Yes. Because whole fruits have been added. Yeah. A whole different... Whole fruits. Go yeah. figure. Who, who knew that would be controversial? Yes, who'd have <laughs> thought, like, adding a whole fruit? How dare you? So, there's not really much grappa drunk in Australia because it's not that popular. And I can see why it's not really that nice. Yeah, though I I think we should probably take a brief break to prepare one of the alternate consumption methods involving coffee and see if that improves it and makes us like it more. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having it with with coffee. Yeah, as, as am I, as am I. 
stay tuned. All right, and we have just got ourselves a fresh espresso with a splash of grappa in it. And a corrected coffee. Mm, and it smells good. Yeah. I'm, I'm apprehensive because I didn't really like the grappa. Oh, fuck. Hey. <laughs> I was just thinking it was actually... A, a, Oh, yeah, there it is. It didn't hit me straight away like it did you, but... Ah. Oh. Yeah, I don't know how I, I feel about this, guys. I think, I think it's better. Do you, though? I mean, I don't normally drink espresso, so that could be my first problem. Oh. Yeah, that's quite bitter. Yeah, so bitter. And, I mean, an espresso is bitter. Mm. But it's... Then, that bitterness is then followed by the... Flavors of the grappa, which yeah, which is mixed kind of, weirdly. So maybe we maybe we put too much grappa in it, perhaps. And yeah, you probably need to like espresso. That's probably a start. Yeah, <laughs> but but yeah. So let's excuse the language, guys. Sorry. Yeah. So while while we're drinking this thing that neither of us is particularly a fan of, let's talk about how the heck it became popular enough that it went from being a poor person's drink to something that the genteels drink, something that you pay quite a bit for despite what it's made from yeah because there is a tale to tell in that regard see i didn't find anything on it i just saw that oh you know in about the 70s it went from people not really caring about it to being everyone's favorite drink ah but it began in the 1950s see uh it was post-war italy's economic miracle, as they called it, that Mm -hmm. made the difference. Because a vast injection of investment into what the Americans saw as a European hinge country under Mm -hmm. the Marshall Plan from 1947 to 1951, and then the 1957 creation of the European Common Market led to spectacular Italian economic growth, which continued unabated until the hot autumn strikes and social unrest of 1969. Wow, that's quite uh, a long time. Yeah, and economists calculate that the Italian economy experienced a 5.8% average growth rate in gross domestic product between 1951 and 1963, and then 5% per year between 1964 and 1973. Hmm. And that economic boom led to a demand for fine cuisine in Italy and newly fashionable elegant Italian restaurants proliferate then proliferated across the developed world as a result of that. So against that background, in 1960s, the Nonino family... Up same, till, same people that have made all this fancy grappa. Yeah, up until then, undistinguished traditional grappa distillers, mm. using a portable still to make grappa from mixed winery leftovers, started distilling single grape grappa, collected within hours of pressing using a discontinuous still designed by Benito Nonino himself. And they produced a grappa using only picolet grape pomace, so it became the first to market a premium-priced single-variety grappa. And those are termed grappa di vitigno or grappa monovitigno. Vitino? Vitigno? Vitigno, yeah. But, um, so it was that. It was that economic boom where Italy ended up having a lot of money so, this being something the Italians liked, it grew in popularity, and then Italians took their money and went overseas and 
brought, opened up classy restaurants and brought the grapple with and them. and brought the grapple with them and people started going oh, well i see if one's wealthy one must drink grappa yes yes <laughs> and whether they liked it or not they drank it because it was classy and expensive it was a classy thing to drink yeah that's that's my guess well that kind of explains why it's a classy drink and even if it's not very nice yeah, because there's there's a lot of people who must be seen to be doing the classy thing, yeah, whether they want to or not. Yes, well, that's been the case everywhere throughout time. Yeah, throughout history, hmm. got to be seen as cultured. Yeah, yeah, and I, so I guess talking about being seen as cultured is uh, as good a time as any to say, be sure to keep up your drinking culture by listening to our podcast and subscribing to us for future episodes. Because you can subscribe to us on <laughs> Apple Podcasts and Podbean and stay cultured, do the thing that's, uh, do the classy thing and keep listening to our podcast where we are a good drop all about alcohol. Hmm. You can f- find us, sorry, I, I tried to have another sip and I took one whiff and I just, I just can't. <laughs> I can't drink another one of these corrected coffees. Um... Uh, you can find us on the social medias. We're on Instagram and Facebook as a Good Drop Podcast. If you want to send us an email, tell us how wrong we are about Grappa. Uh, you can send a, send one to us. To you can send one to a Good Drop at gmail And of course, if you want to listen to an old episode, share one with somebody else, download our entire library, or uh, you know just. Tell your friends about somewhere specific where they can look at whatever they like. We have a good old-fashioned website at gooddrop.com.au. Hmm. So, what are we listening? What are we going to talk about next week? So, be sure to tune in next time when we talk about fruit liqueurs. Not to be confused with fruity lexia. Yeah, or citrus liqueurs. Citrus or... liqueurs. <laughs> or nut liqueurs. Yes. I wonder if we can find a fruit liqueur that's as bitter as the Amaro. Is that possible? Mm, is that possible? Is that something we actually want to do? Well, no. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we might still be able to find one. Yeah. So uh, until next time. And, until then. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>